Hey everybody, it is episode 49 of the Running Rogue Podcast. This is Chris coming at you with Steve from Austin, Texas. Hello everyone. How's everybody doing today? Thank you as always for listening. We've got an interesting topic I think for many. If you've run for any length of time in your life, you've dealt with injuries. So today, at the prompting of one of my athletes, we're going to be doing a full episode talking about how to deal with injury both how do you know you're injured from the start, how do you deal with injury through the process, including how you, how you might choose a medical provider to help you with that, and then how do you come back. We're going to kind of walk you through step-by-step, step, at least from a coach's perspective, on how to deal with injury. We're not doctors, of course, so we're not going to be talking about specific injuries. We'll have others on perhaps later for that, but this will be kind of dealing with the injury process and what we would advise our athletes as coaches before that, as always, we've got some intro topics to cover. As we jump in, there's three things we want to talk about. The first is that we have to give a shout out to our episode 26 guest, Coach Barnett. His Luling High School cross country team won their record eighth straight state cross country title for 3A here in Texas at Old Settlers Park this past weekend. They beat El Paso, Tormillo by 55 points so a pretty sound victory eight straight we talked about it with coach barnett when he was on at the time he had seven straight which was a record the the next most a school has is is six straight so so he's got eight now with a sound victory he has said and he said in his interview that i was reading that he's going to be retiring at the end of the year so this was his last He's already retired, basically. <laughs> his last. I've been following him. He's uh, he, he on his on Facebook, and he's, I think he's at the beach, and then he's somewhere else, and he's been a, uh, I think he might have already retired and not and not taught this and not taught this year, but I think he just coached. Yeah. I don't know what kind of arrangement they set up so he could get that eighth, but <clears throat> yeah, he's he's going into that good night of and moving on to other other things. Well, what a way to end it with eight in a row, kind of putting the record out of reach <laughs> yeah so it's not i don't think it's touchable i'm not sure that anyone can you know the, as we talked before there's challenges on both sides of it you know for the bigger schools um it's really the competition is so high that it's very difficult to to be able to get a streak like that going and then in the small schools it's so hard to keep continuity when you've gone through a four-year cycle with kids whose lives are are really challenged especially at the smaller schools where many of them are are working kids their their families don't um, their families are in the fields and doing other things and so you know it, you can make the argument of which is it harder is it harder to do it at the smaller school is it harder to do it at the big school well, let's just say it's really really hard to do it's and hard. I don't think anyone's going to get anywhere near this and Coach Barnett um, not just a maker of championships but a maker of champion men and women and so I mean just hats off to him and I, I'm so happy that he. Uh, it sounds like he's ending it on his terms, too. So Yeah, well, and he has talked about before having only sometimes five or six athletes, so competing, scoring five, but only having five runners in a race. That wasn't the case this year, but has been in the, in the streak. So that makes it even more impressive. In this case, this year, he had second and third on the podium, and he was quoted as saying this is one of the greatest teams he's had in his tenure and that 55-point victory kind of shows that 
they were on top of their game. So congrats to Coach Barnett. And if this is the last year, you've ridden off into the sunset <laughs> in the right way. So yeah. kudos, congrats. kudos for that. And we highly recommend everybody check out episode 26. We talk about high school cross country because, you know, that's what we do is push things on. You, you might not otherwise check out. But he also talks about chasing excellence and this idea of creating a culture of excellence, which he's done at Luling. So there's lots of interesting things in there, even if you're not into high school cross country. So check out episode 26. Next, we've got to talk about <coughs> the race we already mentioned briefly in our New York recap. Also in New York on Saturday this past weekend was the U.S. 5K Road Championships. And we had a couple of really impressive races on both sides for different reasons. We'll start with the women, Molly Huddle, who has since the world championships said that she is stepping off the track and will now be exclusively road racing. We'll see how that plays out, but she's now a road racer. She has said that, you know, she's focused on the marathon distance essentially for now, but came back to run this 5k road championships, got the victory, her 25th U S title. I've said before on here, it's death taxes and Molly huddle. It's just amazing. <laughs> Unbelievable. And she did it against a pretty impressive field this time running away from Molly Seidel, Notre Dame graduate, recently turned pro, now training with the Saucony Freedom Track Club, who got second. But Molly beat her by nine seconds with another four seconds or 13 seconds over Natasha Rogers, who we've mentioned on this podcast, showing her range here down to the 5K. Molly basically said, you know, I'm going to hang out for a mile and a half or so. And then she put the the screws down <laughs> and ran away to a time of 1524 on the roads in New York. Part of this going through Central Park, finishing on part of the New York course, New York Marathon course. So a really impressive time, I would say. And also she beat an impressive field. So one, let's just talk about Molly Huddle. Amazing. Oh, what's to say? Great to see her. <laughs> she has said her next race will be Houston half. She's going to go for the U.S half marathon road champion a uh, road record so you think we'll see her in boston i think <coughs> we might I think we, that's we haven't we haven't heard about spring races but she did say she's doing a spring marathon so she's got houston on the calendar as a half to try to get the u.s record there and then we'll see it'd be awesome to see her and maybe shalane in boston head yes to head that would be with, awesome with jordan Hesse in there as well I mean, <laughs> would that be that would be amazing from a u.s women's standpoint so we'll root for that but congrats to Molly. We've got to talk about Molly Seidel. She's a name that is new to the professional ranks, just turned pro this summer. Came out of Notre Dame, won NCAA championships in the 10K and cross a couple of years ago in 2015, but then had a down, kind of injury-ridden 2016. Good to see her back on top of her game. She's training with Tim Bro in Boston with the Saucony Freedom Track Club, which is a new group recently formed that also had the men's second-place finisher, you know Molly Seidel a little bit better from your time your time at UT, or at least from following NCAA's. What should we expect from her now that she's turning pro? I think you should expect to see um, another a, a person who's going to be up there com competing at the very highest levels at every single national championship if she can stay healthy. Um, her major challenge has been throughout her career is. Um, having stress fractures, stress reactions, and having to sit out for a while. So 
that's a really tough thing for any new coach to 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 deal with. Not that Tim Bro is a new coach, but new to this athlete. He's been coaching for a while, but it'll be an interest, interesting to see how they find that balance. It looks like they've given her some time to roam and give her some time to get back to where she needs to be. Um, she loves to run from the front. She can kick. She's She can do it nearly every way. Um, I'm interested to see. It is interesting how fast. I mean, she didn't. She just came right out and started winning or, or getting really close to winning. She raced Abby D'Agostino in, in at a race in uh, the Mayor's Cup in Boston on the cross-country course and, and beat Abby there. So she's, you know, she came, she's come out hot and she's ready to go. Um, I think you'll see a lot more of Marley Seidel, especially at the tra- on the track and on the roads. But I don't, she's not going to be moving up to the, the, big, the big marathon distance, I don't think, anytime soon. But, but she should be um, a force to be reckoned with on the track for years to come. And I do believe her training partner, or at least on the men's side, Tommy Curtin, who got second in the men's race, he said a lot of them are targeting indoor races. So we, she's going to be doing potentially club cross coming up, doing a little bit of cross country and then switching into indoor. So we could probably see her competing at, at the 3K distance, maybe some 5Ks in there indoor soon. And then outdoor track. So we'll see Natasha Rogers, who we've mentioned many times, got thirds, showing her range here. Getting third in the 5K, she got second in the U.S. 10-mile championship. She's <laughs> been competing at cross-country. She's been on the track, mixing it up in the 10K. She's been, you know, she's done a half marathon this year. Steve's got her all over the place, but doing well in a lot of different things. I'm kind of interested in seeing if we can get Natasha to maybe focus <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, and win a race at some point. I'm sure there's a method to the madness with Steve Magnus, but so far we haven't seen it yet with Natasha, so it'll be interesting to see how her next year plays out if they decide to go ahead and stick with track again or move up. So we'll see what happens with Natasha. Some other n- interesting names we got to mention. Brenda Martinez, 800, yep. 800, who just came off the World Championship 800s, has said she's moving up to the 15 and beyond. Shows up for the road... F- 5k championships and she was in it i know she was in the mix with the leaders with molly molly and and natasha early faded to fifth in this one about 22 seconds back from huddle but what do you think of brenda i mean brenda that's the way she trains i mean i think we've all seen that workout that she did that one eight times a k workout that she was running it unbelievably fast so she's ready and prepared to do this her coach um her 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 main coach is Joe Vigil, or at least the, the the program that they are coming from, um, and the, the the base that they're coming from is definitely Vigil esque. So, um, you know, she's got she's. It's no surprise to me that she can stretch it out to 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 five k. Um, there's no surprise to me at all. She's got the miles in her legs. No doubt about it. She knows how to suffer, and she's done lots of work where she's worked in this zone. So I'm I'm sure it doesn't surprise me at all to see her succeed there. I I actually would have thought she might have done a little bit better, but. The way Molly Huddle races, it really makes it very difficult for anyone um, to manage. So she just makes sure that she puts it away early enough to, yeah. you know, to, to not give anybody else another shot. You know, she runs away f- ten seconds away from them in a in a ten k in a five k over the last mile. That's that's moving away from someone very fast. <laughs> Molly said she could hear Brenda behind her. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> and she knew she had to get away before the final kick because obviously Brenda's got wheels. Did you see that Instagram photo of uh of uh what's her name the girl who got um of uh Steph Garcia the steeplechaser? 
There's yeah. a picture on on Instagram yeah. of her vomiting on the finish line, yeah. like giant chunks of humongous chunks of food. Yeah. I was Blood, like, wow, Blood, that's Blood a track. lot of breakfast. Blood track put it up. <laughs> that's yeah. a lot of breakfast that woman ate before her 5K. I don't know that you need to actually fuel that much. She, she left it out there for sure, all of it. <laughs> I think she put it on her own Instagram feed too. I think she posted that photo. She posted so she, it. Yeah. Blood track took it, <laughs> and and I think Flow Tracks tagline was happy monday or something <laughs> you know <laughs> but stephanie garcia was with the leaders as well she ended up sixth behind brenda <laughs> abby d'agostino seventh overall 16 flat good to see her back for those that don't know that name top their head abby's the one who tore her acl in the olympic 5k yep but, but went oh. on to finish in the prelim rounds and and had that moment at the finish line with her competitor her brit i think it was a british uh runner there kind of both struggling to the finish line under injury. So good to see Abby back from ACL reconstruction. Desiree Linden, we already mentioned, got eighth. We mentioned that in the New York recap. Good to see her mixing things up with a 5K and finish finishing very solidly in top 10. You've also got to mention Kristen Findlay, former Rogue AC athlete, getting 19th in a top 20 performance, 1635. There's also two Baylor Bears in there. People may not recognize um Lauren Paquette, who got fourth overall, she ran at Baylor um, a number of years ago, and then um, now trading in South Carolina with the uh, the group at uh, at uh, Furman is Rachel Johnson, the Steeplechasers. She had a she had a solid day. So we had a lot of a lot of folks up in there. That was a great race. I think it's a really cool thing, Chris, that they have these five k national championships in conjunction with the marathon. Yep. Um, it means that a lot of folks get to get out there and watch and see um, what their future event might be. <laughs> That's right. And, again, congrats to Molly, but definitely look out for Molly in Houston half. I'll be in Houston myself, so it'll be good to, at least in the aftermath of my marathon, see how she did. Let's go to the men's side. The men, as they usually do, took it out at snail's pace and all had a kind of kick finish. There, there were 12 men within 10 seconds of the victory and and it was pretty close after that even even the top 20 were all within 13 seconds of the leader Shadrach Kipchichir who we we talked about at the trials U.S. Uh, trials for the world championships being in the 10k showing up here winning the kick finish against a bunch of 5k studs including Paul Chalimo. absolutely including Paul Chalimo himself, who clearly has had an enjoyable offseason, not on form, but, <laughs> but still... Not in, racing every weekend like his compatriots. Mix, yeah, but still <laughs> in the mix for fourth. So you had Kipchichir from the Scott Simmons group. And then Tommy Curtin, new name, Virginia Tech Hokie, showing up there in second, who is also with Molly Seidel's group, the Saucony Freedom Track Club, under Tim Bro. Carabella Rasa, that's a new name to me. Oklahoma State, man, Oklahoma State. He's running with okay, the uh, Oklahoma with State. The also now with Simmons Group. I know he was at Atlanta Track Club, but has now moved over to Scott's Group. So he's one to look out for now that he's turned pro. Paul Chalimo, you know, U.S. champion in the 5K by a long shot, and Olympic then, silver and medalist. Olympic silver medalist showed up also in the World Championships. He got fourth. And then you had, you know, Ben True in sixth, Emmanuel Bohr, who has raced the steeple in, in the World Championships and in the U.S. 
uh, championships, got seventh. Will Lear was in there back from injury. Myler now perhaps moving up. Hassan Mead, who made the world teams in the, in the 10K, showing up here as well. Leonard Career 10th. So, I mean, this was an absolutely stacked <laughs> men's field, and they obviously all thought they could kick, finish, and win because they <laughs> pretty much waterfall. There were six guys basically in a photo finish for this win, but interesting to see Kip Chichir get the win against these 5K specialists for the most part. He said at the end in his interviews, like, don't, don't forget, I got wheels too. <laughs> <laughs> and he showed it. He showed it, but... You know, Scott Simmons' group again showing up here with, I think they had five guys in the top ten. So, again, just dominating the front of some of these men's races. You also had a couple of other names we've got to call out. Craig Lutz, former UT Longhorn, finished 17th. Joe Stillen right behind him, also former UT Longhorn. Now Zap, ben, Zap Fitness uh, athlete. And then Ryan Donner as well. So, pretty Interesting men's race, but no surprise that they all just waited for the kick finish. They right? always do this crap. I, I'm just amazed that Skim- Simmons' guys are still racing. They're st- I mean, I, I don't know. In November. I mean, they haven't stopped racing since the World Champs. I mean, they just kept rolling all summer long and then all fall long. It's crazy. Hopefully they're going to take a little bit of a break and we don't suddenly see them on an indoor track or somewhere. <laughs> right. <clears throat> it's got to be break time for them. All right, so that's your U.S. Road 5K Championships I do believe the final winners in terms of that series will be Leonard Career, who had basically solidified it on the men's side, and then Alephine Tulliamuk, who we talked about in the marathon, wasn't racing at this one, but has the points to get that that series championships. Final current event we've got to talk about is an announcement from this week, which I think the timing of this announcement is interesting, and we'll talk about that, but Gwen Jorgensen who finished gold in the triathlon in Rio at the ITU format. We'll explain a little bit the difference between an Ironman format and an ITU format, but at least the Olympic and ITU format, she's won gold for the U.S., has run a 241 in New York last year. She has announced that she's retiring from the triathlon and going to be focused on the marathon for the Olympics in 2020 to try to qualify for the U.S. team there. Interesting announcement, I think, for a lot of reasons. You've got a triathlete saying she's going to focus on the roads, even or on the road marathon distance, but also the timing of it post-New York I think is interesting. What do you make of this, Steve? And let's just first talk about her chances of turning in a legitimate performance for 2020 when you're going to have Molly Huddle, you're going to have... Jordan Hesse, you're going to have potentially somebody like Emily Sisson moving up, maybe a Natasha Rogers in the mix. You're going to have Shalane, who knows what she's going to decide, whether she'll compete. Amy Hastings-Crag. I mean, we've got a stacked women's field potentially for the trials coming up in 2020. Gwen's going to have a lot to handle there. Does she have a chance at making a U.S. team in the marathon? You and I talked a little bit about this offline, and uh, I I think we're probably going to differ in our view of this, but... An Olympic gold medalist is an Olympic gold medalist. And this woman, I'm telling you right now, I'm not saying she's going to make the Olympic team, okay? I'm not. But I t- will tell you this. She will be in the mix, and she will be a force to be reckoned with, in my opinion. Um, she's got, she's waited a little long, in my opinion. I guess she just had a, you know, she's just coming back off of a, having a child. Um, and 
it'll be interesting if she has the time to get to where she wants to be by this by 2020. But I, uh, <clears throat> she's a former collegiate runner. She ran in college at, at not at, not at the highest highest levels, but pretty well. And something has really changed in the way that she is running now, and she's running really really strong. Um, somebody might say, "Well, why not move up to the Ironman?" Well, she's tall and lean, and there's no way she can push a big bike gear, and there's no way that she's going to be able to compete at that level, at the Ironman level, off um, in a non in a non um, drafting legal race. And so that's the big thing that happens with these ITU races is they're draft legal, which means that a, a person gets that can, if they can swim pretty well, they can come out of the water with the people on the bike, and they all just ride it as a they 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 draft off of each other, and so somebody's trying to do work and push away. So that it ends up coming down to the kick or coming down to the to the to the the last 10k and um, Gwen obviously at Rio proved what she's capable of and what she can do and I think that while while collective wisdom would say no there's no way she doesn't do the mileage she's not going to get to where she needs if she stays healthy Chris I think she'll be someone that we'll be talking about going into the trials that's a big well, if <laughs> we will be talking about her because obviously she's going to be a little bit of a wild card. What do you think her chances realistically, and let's just say, well, not say to qualify, but what could she run? She's run 241 at New York. She's a sub-230 marathoner with, I think, a sub-230 marathoner if she gets her mileage up and gets to where she needs to be. Now, that will, that puts her, that's at minimum, in my opinion. I think the talent level is there to be a sub-230 marathoner. So, but there's a lot of women, I think, that have the talent to be a sub-230 marathoners. So, the the question is whether, and, and you know, you look at a, at, at at Amy Hastings Craig and I think her PR is twenty six two twenty six right. or something like that. Right. So depending on how that race goes, a runner like um, like this could be in the mix if they don't if they go to another place like L.A. and run in stupid hot weather and do stupid shit. If UTSAF does really stupid things and minimizes the chances for athletes to run really fast, then the women will have to run a little bit slower and will and and. You know, she may not have. I don't know. I, I just think that she's got a real chance at this. I think she's. Is she a two twenty marathoner? I don't know. Well, that that's what time will have to tell us. But I do think she's somewhere between two thirty and two twenty five if she gets the training in and if she can get hundred mile weeks in healthy. She's got a lot of talent and she's running really and with a lot of economy and she's got she's got something that no one else in that field will have. She knows she's won at the very highest levels and she'll know what it takes to do that. Whereas I don't think many of the other women will have an idea of that. That's the that's the wild card here that really makes her special and ha- makes her potential um, even greater than you would it would be for for some other person. So we will see. What do you think, I'm Chris? I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical. You know, it, to me, this seems almost like a PR slash sponsorship stunt. Well, the timing or, was or, bullshit. Or I do. I agree with you about the timing being bullshit. It was sort of it seemed like ASICs in some way. And I don't think that really Gwen would do this, but it seems like maybe somebody, one of the shoe companies was trying to take the wind out of somebody else's sails in a right. sense. It seemed right. a little bit convenient to where this pitched and how it got pitched. Um, and it, it, we should have all been quiet for at least a week and said nothing except all hail Shalane Flanagan for a while exactly. before we had somebody here, you know, peeing down the side of her leg trying to make trying to make it not be a big deal. And I think it's terrible, terrible timing for that. But I still think it's a really intriguing idea about what she might be able to do. I mean, the way the, here's my thing is, yeah, she's clearly an amazing athlete. Don't want to take anything away from that. And I think over the long term, I think she could have potential to threaten for a marathon 
team, but 2020, I don't know, 2024, maybe. I think if you look at what Shalane has done, I mean, she talked about it, and we talked about it in the recap. It took her seven years to win New York. Seven years of hard work, seven years of commitment <laughs> to that distance, seven years of 100-plus mile weeks, and Gwen was talking about how she's doing 40 right now, <laughs> you know, and the max she's ever done is like 70. Yep. So I think the idea that somebody, regardless of talent, could compete for the team without having the ability to put in three, four, five, six years of work at that distance or with focus on the long distances for running, whether it be half or full or even 10K, I think it's too much. I don't think she's going to be able to do it, and she really doesn't have that much time if you look at what time frame she has to get a qualifier and then you need some period of time to train specifically for the trials. And so she really only has a couple of years to, to put into this. And She'll get a qualifier right out of the box. I mean, whenever she decides to do it, she says it's not it's not that high a standard. It, that, and I think that will be really telling what happens with her first one. Yeah, but, the, you know, but then there's decisions about do you go hard to, to see what you can do there or you just get a qualifier so you're not. You know, taking time away from training and having to recover from a big effort. Those are those are big decisions that need to be made. But either way, you don't have a lot of time, and I just don't think she's going to be able to put in what's needed to compete with the Molly Huddles, the Desiree Lindens, the Jordan Hasses of the world who've been doing serious volume for a really long time at, at this distance. So that's my two cents. I think it's interesting and, you know, she'll be an outside wild card, baby, if the conditions are really tough and hot. But I don't see her as a serious threat to make the team in the marathon. That's my two cents. We'll we see. will see. We'll see. We will see. Never underestimate an Olympic gold medal. If, <laughs> you, if you had an Olympic gold medal in Taekwondo, <laughs> I still think you might have a chance. So Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. We will see. All right. So everybody be watching for that. Gwen Jorgensen. We'll see how she does transitioning from triathlon to marathon distance. Now, let's talk about dealing with injury. Again, we're not doctors. We're not going to talk about specific injuries. We're going to be talking about how to deal with the process of injury. My athlete, Sujata, who suggested this topic, is currently dealing with her own injury. She's had some nerve issues in her foot that required surgery and is now coming back from that. And she had mentioned a bunch of questions around her injury that she thought would be helpful to talk about with the larger audience that might also be helpful for her as she finishes up her recovery. But we're going to kind of talk about it in, in terms of the life cycle of the injury from, you know, how do you know if you're injured to how do you deal with it in the moment to how do you come back from the injury? So kind of cycling through the life cycle here of the injury. We'll start with that question, Steve. And I get this actually fairly often with new runners, which is how do you know if you have an injury or how do you know if you're just sore or beat up from a, t a particular workout? And obviously that's something that people have to learn themselves. But what would you tell someone who's trying to figure out what are injury pains like versus, you know, just standard soreness that you can kind of work through more easily? So I have a basic rule I tell all my athletes, and that's it's nothing to don't come talk to me. Tell me if you've got an issue, if you've got something flared up, something's bothering you. It's okay that I, t I, I hear about it, but don't freak out until it's four days. So, so many things happen where somebody will have an injury or have something flare up or they're all of a sudden their knees will hurt them or their shins will hurt them. And two to three days later, they feel just fine. 
Um, I usually tell folks, get to your fourth day of being, whoa, something's not right before you determine that you're hurt. Um, the other piece of this, Chris, is also crucial, and that's if you get beyond the, out, the four days, then um, you need to see somebody as soon as possible. But I would also, unless that person that you see, your, your doctor or your physical therapist, whoever it is that's, that's, that's um, diagnosing what's going on, if they give you the opportunity to continue to run, continue to run. Because a lot of times things get weird and wonky and then they end up working out and they, they end up being okay. And, or maybe it's a two-week issue that's just a little blip along the struggle or a little blip along the line and then you're, you can get through it pretty quickly and you, you might need to adjust your volume and maybe not do the next couple quality workouts. Don't do a long run. And people will come back pretty quickly. But I wouldn't call any of those things either injuries. I would call them niggles or a little bit of an issue or I don't know exactly. You're banged up. There's a couple of different ways to say it. So the first thing is four days, then go get in to see a medical professional as soon as you can. And then if you're allowed to, if if it's not bone stress or some injury where they say stop running, then continue to run through the first week or so. By that time, Chris, you and I know most of the time somebody's going to be able to tell if something's happening. Yeah, I agree with those points i think the four-day rule is a good one the the rule i give people generally is that if it's and i've heard this also talked about from a medical provider standpoint i and i'll give a shout out later but mondo sports therapy is is one of the providers i i recommend and they always say if the pain is three or less keep running on it as you say, give it time, see how it works out of the over kind of a four and seven day period. If it's three day, if it's a three or less on a one to 10 scale, then you're, you're not going to make it worse likely by running on it. And as I've said before on our one percent episode, movement equals blood flow equals healing. So oftentimes running, especially if you have a soft tissue injury is better for you than not running because when you don't run, it just gets tight and stagnant. So three or less, and then the other rule I layer on top of that is as long as it doesn't get worse as you go, mm-hmm. then usually it's okay to run. So three or less and then make sure it doesn't get worse as you run. Then that means, you know, it's it's minor enough that you can at least run through it. And then you give it some time, the four days or week that Steve was talking about. And if it's still there, then I highly recommend you consult your coach, but also a medical provider to get a very early triage of what that potentially could be. Now, the other tip I'll give here is that, you know, for the most part with running, we deal with soft tissue issues, right? Sometimes people will have stress fractures or might fall and break something or twist something. But for the most part, we're dealing with soft tissue issues where the muscles, the tendons get a little bit wonky or stressed from the work that you're doing. And oftentimes that's due to some sort of tightness in the body. We've talked about trigger point rolling. I also recommend checking out episode 42 where we talk about the one percents or the supplemental exercise you should be doing to support your running. But if you have something, a pain that starts in your quad as an example, then it could be because there's some tightness somewhere in the kinetic chain around that quad that is causing it to have pain or to pull And so what you want to do is get on that foam roller and massage everywhere around that spot and then the spot itself. 
to try to see if you can work it out on your on your own because you might find that if you're diligent about that then you're going to be able to find that source of tightness that kind of core issue before you have to see someone or before it progresses to too much yeah and you're you're going to find you'll find it if you're rolling too um and and that's it it it'll usually squeal at you and it's so frequent it's so funny how frequently it is not in the place that you're feeling your pain but you'll have something a little bit that's why I think it's important, as you said, Chris, to work the entire area around that to see if there's something else happening. And um, the key here, too, is I have said this so many times that it, the, the first injury or the first issue that it, that arises for an athlete when they're in this early phase of an injury or, or early phase of determining whether they are hurt or not is so crucial because it, it it's typically not that original thing that is that ends up sidelining the runner they'll what will happen is an athlete will compensate and start to run away from the area or the problem that they have and then this second area or an eventually a tertiary or even a fourth area that, that you know that this uh, goes in different spots up and down the kinetic chain and sometimes it'll if i've always said to people if you if your if your ankle hurts, my guess is your hip's going to start to bother you on the other side. Like, how did you know that? You're some kind of genius. And no, you're you're compensating. You're starting to do things. And what happens is, if you continue to run on these, the, if you continue to train hard while you're dinged up like this, and you ignore the first or the second issue, and each the compensations continue, that third and fourth, in in you know. The third or fourth manifestation of this injury, it's very hard for your PT or your doctor to be able to walk back to what that first original cause was. And so many times I'll have someone come back from an injury and and think that, oh, they're going to come back and be 100% healthy. But they haven't addressed that initial first problem that could probably very easily found if they were doing a lot of if they were doing a consistent amount of self-massage. Self-massage and seeing your massage therapist is one of the most crucial places because anything soft tissue will bark or squeal or holler at you and you can begin to start to work on it and then get at that issue because before it starts to create this compensatory chain that can be really problematic down the line. For sure. A couple other notes I would add before we kind of go to the next part of the life cycle is that one is that everybody's going to deal with issues. There's no such thing as a perfect training cycle or or a pain-free <laughs> training cycle. If you're training at the limit, you're going to have issues. So your ability to know what's going to be a long-term problem or what's a short-term problem and how to deal with both of those becomes really important. It also becomes really important as a part of that to see someone quickly so that you're able to get it before it becomes a second, third, fourth order issue or becomes something more severe like a stress fracture. Because once you get to the point of having pinpoint pain or shooting pain that feels more bone-like, then you're going to be sidelined for a long time, and that's just the way it is. So you want to get to all of these things early. And then uh, the other thing I'll say is that I want to stress the importance of what Steve said, which is that most of the time where you feel the pain is not the cause of the problem. And so your ability to both with yourself but also using the right medical provider to figure out the source the root cause is really important as an example a lot of runners that we have deal with plantar 
fasciitis issues, most people think about the foot because that's where the pain is as perhaps what where they need to manage the pain or the thing they need to solve is somewhere in the foot. When most of the time, plantar is caused by issues above the foot, higher in the kinetic chain, could be calf tightness that's causing tightness all the way through the Achilles to the plantar, could be some way the upper body mechanics and or lower body mechanics are working to put stress on that ankle and foot as you land and progress through the pronation supination cycle. So there's likely something above the foot that's causing the issue in that case. And so whenever you're having an issue, you always got to ask yourself, how can I manage the pain, but also get to the source, figure out the root cause so that you can fix that issue. Otherwise it's just going to come back. Okay, so that's sort of how to deal with injury. We talked, or how to at least know if you're injured. We talked about the four-day rule Steve mentioned. I talked about the kind of three out of ten scale on the pain scale being that barrier with which you should run versus not run. Then the other question, Steve, becomes who do I see? Now, we're lucky in Austin. We have lots of different options from Mondo Sports Therapy, who I mentioned, to Run Lab here inside our building to... Arosti to Dr. Moose, Dr. Tuggle, the TriDoc. We've got all sorts of resources that are catering to runners in this town and helping them stay injury-free. How does someone outside of this town go about choosing a medical provider? Because one thing I want to warn people with, sometimes orthopedic surgeons know what they're talking about as it relates to running injuries, but many times they don't. It's not a part of their training they're d- they're trained in medical school and in residency and and in fellowships to deal with acute issues to deal with surgery to deal with when someone tears an ACL or when someone tears a ligament or sprains something severely they're trained to deal with those things they're not trained to deal with the soft tissue injuries that we deal with so often providing finding a a alternative provider is the best way to go but how do you look for that Steve Well, the first thing I suggest, if you can find someone who is both a general practitioner and a sports doctor wrapped up in one, then you should go to that doctor's office or to that that, um, provider because they are going to have the appropriate balance to see things in a wider lens. As you said, Chris, about about, um, about doctors who are... Uh, each doctor is going to look at an issue with the cl- with the training that they've bring to it, um, and they're going to look at the solution primarily in one general way. Uh, they're going to look at it in their in their perspective. I like to call it rose colored glasses. They just come at it wearing the glasses or wearing the training that they come at, and 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 it's it's difficult to find folks sometimes to, who who are enough have enough breadth and enough. To, to, to balance it. So if you can find someone who does both general practice stuff and does sports medicine stuff, does sports doctor stuff, that's fantastic. We have, we have a, a place here in Austin called Texas Sports and Family Medicine who have been the doctors for the University of Texas. They're, when I went to the University of Texas, my first year was 1988, and I still see the same doctor here in 2017 who saw me that first day when I got my physical for, at UT. So that's been something I've been I've been so blessed to have, and they've and they've continued to be in that role. But so if you can go out there and find someone who can do both things, then you you've at least got a doctor a doctor who is versed 
in who you are as a human being and what you are as a as a full body and not just looking at it acutely right at the issue where you're at. So that's the first thing I suggest. The next thing I say is if you don't have a, a, a general practice doctor who also is a sports medicine doctor, then ask around or try to find in your local running community. A lot of times your, your, your local running shoe store will be a great service here. Um, is to ask who are people in that community seeing? Who are the three or four providers that someone can go see? So using resources like your local running specialty store. Another thing that you can do if you're at a if you're in a if you're in a university town or a college town, um, you could contact the tracker or or cross country coach that's there and ask them who do they utilize beyond the first step of using their trainer that the, all schools will have their own trainer but you can look and see who they might be sending their their folks to very rarely is a cross country or or track um, doctor on call at a university. Most of the time, they're 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 taking those folks out into the community. So who are they going to see? Who are they relying on to get um, to look at their athletes for various issues? Um, and most of your programs there will be willing to share that stuff with you. Um, so those are two resources I would recommend right off the bat. Um, but most importantly, I think that. The key thing I'll say here is, and we may go into this a little bit later, Chris, so I won't belabor the point so I can bring it back up again, is whatever happens, if you don't get the answer you want, or if you have someone who, let's just, first of all, let's just say, if somebody tells you stop running, unless you've got a bone-related issue, look for, look for more advice, look for different advice, okay? Because frequently that's the first line of defense for people who are sort of anachronistic or don't have a running background is they'll just say stop running right all the way. Now, in some cases, that's what you need to do. But more often than not, if that's the first answer is immediately stop running and take six weeks off, but that's all I can say to you, come back and see me in six weeks. If you don't have a stress fracture, then you need to go see a different doctor because that's, that's, that's crucial and critical to continue to look for the right person to try to find going through different different practitioners and different service people to try to find what will help you. Yeah, the stop running advice, in the case of a soft tissue injury, is the worst advice you can be given. It's not even it's not, even not helpful. It's actually bad. Counterproductive. It's counterproductive yes. because what happens with the soft tissue issue, as we've talked about, movement equals blood flow equals healing. If you don't move, the healing process isn't facilitated because you don't get the blood flow you need and... You get tight, and oftentimes your injury will pop right back up the second you get going again. But that is a common thing you might hear from some orthopedic surgeons that aren't versed in this to so just stop running, or you can't run. So agree with that point. Also, as you said, you know, through, through referrals, find somebody who's dealt with runners, who has a history of runners in their practice. And it might mean finding an alternative practitioner. In some places you can go to an MD. If you have that kind of expert who really understands running-related issues, but in some cases that might not be an MD. It might be a physical therapist. It might be a chiropractor. It might be somebody else. It could even be an acupuncturist in some places. You know that has a better sense for how to deal with some of these things. So find someone who specializes in running-type issues who understands runners. <coughs> the other thing I would say, typically, and I give this advice to many of my athletes, is that. Uh, assuming it's not a nerve issue, assuming it's not a nerve issue, if you don't notice some difference or improvement or change, not necessarily that it's better, but that it moves or changes after seeing somebody one, two, three times, then you, it's time to see somebody else. 
That's um, a crucial point, Chris. I mean, it's none of these people are perfect. <laughs> even the best ones miss. Um, and so I would say two things here. One is if it's not working, you got to communicate with the provider that you're working with and say, look, this isn't working. We need to try something else. Give them an opportunity to kind of course correct and find a new path. But then if that doesn't work, it's time to find somebody else. And I always say it takes a village sometimes to heal an injured runner. Sometimes you got to go to multiple people before you get the right expertise. I have an athlete that um, was told she would never run again, that she had lost the uh, cartilage in her, not the cartilage, but the, yeah, the cartilage in her knee and that she would never be able to come back at this again because the doctor told her that. She went to go see two or three different people. They said the same things. That she didn't want that answer, Chris. She just decided that that couldn't be the answer. I mean, she's like 27 years old. So, and she hadn't done anything crazy. She's like, I just don't know. Unless I have some degenerative disease that I got, you know, from my, that's hereditary or something. This just doesn't make any sense. And I said to her, I said, I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense. I would keep seeing people until you get an answer. I don't know exactly what the solution to the problem was because I didn't get that. This was, you know, six months down the road and I wasn't working with her anymore. But she did come to our group a couple weeks ago, said that she'd had surgery and she's expected to get back out on the road in the next two to three weeks. And so in that case, she just refused. She went to four or five or six different people until she found somebody. And that person basically said, yeah, I got, I got this. I think I can make this work. And she's already been able to walk pain-free. She's in a position where she thinks she'll be able to get back to running. So that's not, it's not a miracle in every case. But in most cases, just keep looking for a solution. Um, unless it's something that is a known disease or a known um, trauma, it, it, it's probably solvable. And you just need to keep turning the leaves over until you find the right practitioner who can help you. One caveat I will put on that, which is important, is that you have to give each one their fair shake. That is very <laughs> true. Because some people I know go to my good physical therapist and then they'll say, well, they're not helping me. And then I'll ask them if they've done the exercises recommended by the physical therapist. And they'll kind of him and ha and say, well, sort of, you know, sometimes you've got to give everybody a fair shake and follow the protocol that they provide doing your part for it before you can confidently say hey this didn't work for me now it's time to move on so make sure you do your part no matter who you see and at least give them a fair shake one other thing i want to say chris <clears throat> many of our listeners who may be above a certain age probably have a have grown up with a bit of a of a prejudice against chiropractors um because for so long chiropractors uh their training was um, more along the lines of just cracking it back and getting alignment right. Um, chiropractors now, they're, they are a, they're a whole different animal. In the last 10 to 15 years, we have seen huge changes in chiropractic care. And so don't be, just because you don't get the, be, be open and willing to look at chiropractic care because it is very surprising. It's not just for backs anymore. It's wide ranging and it can be very, very helpful for people. Well, and a lot of them these days aren't doing traditional adjustments like they used to do. They're operating almost like physical therapists. So be open-minded. You know, not all of them are going to be able to help runners, but but many of these alternative providers are able to because, honestly, MDs aren't necessarily trained the way they need to to deal with some of these running-related soft tissue injuries. So those are some tips on providers. The next thing I want to kind of discuss is the 
active nature of recovering from an injury. Most people, I think, think or assume that doing nothing is better than doing something as it relates to injury. And the harsh reality is that almost zero injuries heal except for bone fracture or stress heal because of doing nothing. There's got to be strength work involved. There's going to be some active work involved at, at fixing the source problem that caused your issue. And for most of us runners, it often comes down to physical therapy, strengthening things that need to be stronger in order to run more efficiently and not stress the areas you're stressing. So it's really important to understand as a part of recovery, what do you need to be doing working with your provider in order to work through and prevent this thing from happening again, get to the root cause. Yeah, I think that it's, I I'll, I say this, we're going to talk a little in a little bit about what things people can do while they're hurt, right? We're going to go into that a little bit. But I think that, and I'll, and I'll address this there, but I'll also address it here. When you're returning from a significant injury, you should be you, you, everyone's dying to get back out on the road and run. That's a given. But you should be sick and tired of doing the PT work that you've been doing. If you are not sick and tired of doing it, you are not doing it enough. You're not doing the work that you need to be doing. If you're just sitting there eating bonbons, drinking beer, and uh, watching NFL football, um, you can do that sometimes. But if you're doing that all the time, you are not going to get better. And you're, in fact, you're making the situation significantly worse, and you're making your return worse. So it's crucial that folks realize that if you want to be an athlete at a very high level, if you want to be a runner at a very high level, whatever that is for you, it has to be integrated in, and be part of your entire life. And so whatever time frame that you were spending out on the roads, you should be at a minimum doing your physical therapy for that kind of a window of time or that kind of intent, at least on a daily basis. If you were doing a seven days a week or six day a week running, you should be doing seven days or six days a week of some kind of cross training slash physical therapy slash whatever other other things your medical doctors have told you correct foam rolling when foam rolling is going to be helpful i tell my runners like you should be on that roller at least 20 to 30 minutes a day oh you're going to learn so much about your body too and so make sure you figure out working with your medical provider what are the things you need to be doing to actually solve the root cause of your injury whether it's strength work whether it's core work whether it's foam rolling when i had my sciatic i had a sciatic nerve issue earlier this year and it came on basically the short story is i did too much too soon (laughs) and raced too much too soon last fall and it kind of got me in a race in december sciatic nerve essentially got impinged and that caused it to fire signals into my hamstring to tell my hamstring to contract or cramp essentially and so when I tried to run that's what would happen is I would get hamstring wonkiness and cramping and then sciatic nerve pain and so to get over that I had a series of physical therapy exercises nerve glides that Mondo taught me and then also I was doing certain things in my work situation to help me recover, including standing most of the time because sitting was kind of compressing that nerve and causing the issues to be worse or at least to prevent me to work through it. So I was standing most of the time working 
And then I would do literally 10-minute spin-outs on a stationary bike here at Rogue a couple times a day just to get the legs moving and kind of gliding that nerve through through spinning out really at really low intensities on a bike. All of those things helped me work through that issue over the course of about four weeks. And I was very diligent about it. And it works because I had a marathon I was training for in February. But it was probably more work than training for a marathon. <laughs> it should be. That's <laughs> you know? when you know you're really, that's when, that's when, that's also the way that you really don't want to get hurt again. <laughs> yeah. And so anyway, but it also incidentally taught me a lot of things that I've now incorporated into my routine to prevent that from happening again. So it was an important injury, even if it was frustrating. So that's another key point is make sure you figure out that recipe to work through your injury and get to the root cause working with your medical provider. The other question here in terms of stuff you could be doing, Steve, while you're injured is how do you maintain aerobic fitness? And what you can do here often varies with what type of injury you have and how severe and so forth. But assuming you can do some cross training, Steve, to work on aerobic fitness, what do you recommend for people to try to keep the engine firing? Well, I'm a little bit unconventional in this area, but that's largely because I deal with a population in the af of athletes that I coach who are so type A and are so driven that uh, when an injury like this comes into place, very frequently I tell them to do nothing. I don't mean don't do any aerobic. I don't. I mean don't do any aerobic work. Don't do anything to try to simulate running or don't do anything to try to Keep fitness because fitness is going to go away no matter what. If you're injured and it looks like you're going to have a two-week, three-week, four-week, five-week process to get to your next race or that you can get over the issue, whatever it happens to be, in a relatively quick way and your provider says, yes, that's what we can do, then doing things like aqua jogging is an option. Um, getting on an elliptical machine, which is very similar to the way that you, the way that running works. Another thing I used my own myself, it'll sound really crazy, but I've, I've, I've had other athletes do, um, you can use an arm. I don't know what it's called. Was it the arm, arm bike, arm, arm bike. Cycle. It really, again, it's not specific, but it definitely raised my ability level to work, to suffer. And I recognized I was capable of suffering a lot more than I knew. But all of that, the problem that you're going to run into is very, that the, the, you want to do things that are as close to mimicking running as we possibly can. We're not going to get, not going to be there exactly, but you want to do that. That's just if that window of time is two weeks, four weeks, five weeks at the most. But if you're sitting at a six-week window, a lot of times I tell folks, take a break. And now that is the population of folks I'm working with are don't ever take breaks. And they're on a year in year out cycle of not. And a lot of times the injuries that occur to them is because they haven't taken downtime and haven't given themselves downtime. So that's the first thing I'll say is sometimes I say, don't do anything at all. Get out of here. Go take up macrame for a little while, do something else, watch all of the Game of Thrones and, and enjoy it for a little bit. Um, but for those folks, for most of our listeners who might not be exactly in that case, um, again, I, I would I would suggest doing things that are that are not trying to simulate your aerobic development because so much of what happens with aerobic development is happening in the mitochondria, and some of it is so much of it is so specific to what you're doing in your running that frequently what happens is people will double down and do so much work on a bike or so much work in a pool or and they'll come out of their injury exhausted very very tired and have a real challenge about getting back at, at at the long slow progression that it takes to get back the other thing that happens is some of them come back with aerobic 
aerobically developed so much further than what their the what their tendons, ligaments, and muscles can handle, and they come off of that bike or come off of out of the water or whatever the case may be, feeling like they can immediately do more than they should be doing because they're further along the line aerobically. So, I guess what I'm saying is some of this is just be cautious, take a down, take an injury as a time to do some downtime. What I would suggest is get on your foam roller on a consistent basis, as we've just talked about. This is a great time to hire a through a physical therapist or hire a somebody at the gym and start working on what kind of weight training that you can utilize that will be helpful for you in the long term of your running to start working your other weaknesses in areas that aren't that aren't that you may have challenges with to help make you a stronger more fit athlete and then you can slowly but surely add the aerobic development and your and your your chassis will be able to handle the work that's going to come later so you can just take that turn and maybe spend more time in a weight room um and, and focus on some of these other key issues that are going to be really important. And then that'll be a habit that you already have included in your day-to-day or week-to-week training protocols. And when you dovetail the running back in, you're going to be a much in a much better position. You make good points there. And I think this idea that you, you kind of need to let go <laughs> of the aerobic stuff is, is a good point. You know, I always tell my runners, like, focus on the physical therapy and the recovery elements to the injury first. Then if you still have time and capacity, we can layer in some things. But the reality is you're going to lose fitness. You're going to detrain no matter what cross-training modal modality you're able to do. And so, as you say, it's almost better just to kind of let it go. You know, for me, oftentimes it's more about get, keeping people sane than it is about keeping them aerobically fit. I, I so understand completely. So sometimes yes. it's just like, okay, let's do a spin class. Let's go swimming. Aqua jogging, honestly, I never recommend because that sounds so torturous. And I've it's had very difficult to do well and do appropriately. So, yes, I I come from an old school background where we used aqua jogging all the time to get athletes through little windows of injury. But it's not readily many locations. There's nowhere to do it. No one knows what they're doing, and it's for, and it's a completely solitary. It's a mind-numbingly it's a boring. It's a completely thing. solitary yeah. experience. So. <laughs> I worry about people losing motivation for, well, that's li- what for happens. life in general. And that, yeah, and that's part of what. <laughs> getting, but getting too depressed. I'll tell you what: people come off a bike. I mean, come off of out of out of the water, ready to to slay dragons. I will tell you that well, I've seen I that know, so she, many I know times. Shalane was in the water when she had her stress fracture, although she took some down. So another as well. thing, and I'm this. Is, I have a big pitch for this. I mean, I'm a huge fan of an alter G. If you can find a place where someone who has an alter G, that that alter G is a is a specific medical device. Was designed for medical for medical use, but is now um, being used in so many other areas. But it's designed to basically to take the weight off of you while you're running. It has a chamber inside of it. It's on a treadmill and has a chamber inside of it that basically lowers pressure or raises pressure. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I can't mm-hmm. get all that stuff. But does something to where you're they're able to take percentages of body weight off of your running and so you can run at 60 percent of body weight or 40 percent of body weight and now you're able to do some of that work and can you keep the, the the legs turning over um if you can you can find these alter g's they're a little bit expensive sometimes to get on but if if you've got an insurance policy that actually will cover some of that you can stay really consistent with running and 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 stay in that same motion and then you're more able to come out of it the key thing i would tell people is again unless you're coming out of a really short term injury a 2 week 3 week 4 week injury 
Be sure that you're not trying to do any quality workouts or trying to run at any specific pace during that alter during those um, those sessions. Those are re that's really important. And we'll talk about coming back from injury, but I like the alter G especially for that as a way to use to build back. I had an athlete who had a stress fracture. This is at the University of Texas when I coached there, and she she we knew she had a stress fracture. Uh, two weeks out from her national championships, three weeks out from her national championships. Um, and we knew that if we went to the doctor, they would tell us that we had a stress fracture and they would, they by law, by, by medical regulations, they would have said, you have to stop, right? Because yep. HIPAA and they, they, they're supposed to take care of the athlete. So we just knew, both of us knew that she was in that situation and we just adjusted. She came off the alter g we did crazy workouts a lot of fun workouts it was a super fun training we were both scared to death but she actually got second at the ncaa championships in the 5,000 meters coming off of the alter g that's that was when i became a true believer in the alter g and she then had to take the next of the, the entire rest of the spring off that was an indoor season she had to take the rest of the spring off and she didn't run the outdoor season but we knew we had this great fitness we had a little tiny window of time to get this done at and we, we, we pulled it off so it, that's not typical for our listener, but it is an it is an amazing tool that can be used in so many different ways. Speaking of stress fractures, that is a specific injury <clears throat> that is more acute. I think it's important to note that for most of them, at least in my opinion, again, non-medical opinion, I've had two, one in my tibia, one in my heel, <laughs> is that it's better just to do nothing. Absolutely nothing. For at least six weeks, maybe longer. Except that what we're talking about, rolling. Right. You can so go into the weight room. You can do, do other physical things. Physical therapy, right. yeah. I, I did a 20-mile um, a run. I put that in quotes on the elliptical training for the Chicago Marathon <laughs> in 2001. After I found out I had a stress fracture, I was committed to training on on low body weight situations to try to still do the race. I did a three-hour, quote, run on the elliptical Ooh. And not only did it shoot me mentally, but it also made my stress fracture worse. Yep. And ultimately, I had kind of some ups and downs coming back from that injury that made it much longer than it would have been had I just taken off. So that's a little bit on cross-training. We didn't mention swimming, but swimming is another way also. If you're going to be doing some other things beyond just the physical therapy and, and ancillary activities, swimming is a good way to take weight off your body and, and still do some aerobic work. The other thing that I want to talk about before we talk about coming back from injury, and this is where my athlete had some more questions or at least raised more questions of what she's been dealing with, is the mental and emotional side of dealing with an injury because obviously it's super frustrating for a lot of reasons, but you go through a lot of emotions. You know, There might be some anger. There might be some frustration. There might be some <coughs> tears. There might be, you know, questioning life altogether and this depression de yeah there might be <laughs> depression there might be in her case she mentioned some fear of will i ever get it back uh, will i ever be normal again and so i want to talk about that next and what your tips starting with you steve are on dealing with that side of the equation i guess the mo it, getting injured is absolutely completely normal um, if you're going to train at a level where you're having, where you're subscribing to the basic point of view that Chris and I have been espousing in this podcast, which is doing hard work, training for periodic command performance level races, um, pushing 
the limits of what you think you're capable of, utilizing volume as a method to get you where you know you need to be to get the aerobic development that you need, that getting dinged up and getting injured is part of the process. It's it's not something we recommend, obviously. It's, it's optimal not to get injured, but it's a normal, natural part of the process. And so once you recognize that you haven't done anything egregiously wrong, that you don't have, that you're not, that you didn't screw up, that it's just part of the process can help a little bit in taking that first initial sting off. I, initially, it's really, really difficult. And um, the next thing is take a deep breath. It's going to, you're going to get back. Now, it may be in some cases it may take you four or five weeks to get back or six weeks in a stress reaction, stress fracture scenario. In some cases, it might be six months to a year where before someone can come back. But you will be able to get back. And so having that long-term idea that, hey, I will be able to get back to doing the thing that I love to do, um, it's important to keep that hope alive, Chris, to stay in a space where you're like, I still believe. Um, another thing that I would suggest is really, you know, we talk a lot about community here, Chris. But the one place where community can be a real challenge for athletes when, is when they're hurt. Because if you stay in the same cycle and same space of people on a consistent basis who are able to get out there and still chasing their goals, it can be really tough. So putting your, putting your, your, your uh, membership of your, in your training group on pause, I have athletes who have to take a pause because of injury, and I'm, I'm usually very, very willing to do so because I think they probably need to get away from the, the sort of type A attitude that happens in my group and getting away and spending more time with their families or spending more time in other hobbies or other interests that they have in those spaces, that can be helpful as well as just getting out of that cycle. Most of your communities are not going anywhere. They're a long-term part of the world that you're in and you'll be able to resume and get back to it. And taking a little bit of a break away from that is probably a good thing. So those are three things I would say at first. What, what, do, what do you suggest? So the first thing I always try to take away from injury or at least recognize in the midst of an injury is that there will be lessons to be learned from it mm. that will make me stronger down the road at some point. And I think there's great examples of this from lots of athletes. Shalane being one of those examples recently who, you know, she was not running in the pool in March with a stress fracture in her back and she's winning New York marathon <laughs> in November. And she talked about in her post-race comments that... <coughs> that break was really important for her because she'd been such so deeply in the grind that she hadn't taken a break really from doing twice a year marathons in seven years. And it helped not only put things in perspective, make her appreciate what she was doing more, but also give her body a break from that grind, come back stronger while working through some weaknesses in the midst of it. So you know, that's one thing I try to keep up top of mind is what am I going to learn from this? And the lessons can come in different forms. One, they come in the form of what did I learn not to do? You know, what got me hurt? You know, what does that teach me about how my training should go the next cycle so that I don't end up in the same place? It also allows you to work on weaknesses that you can't usually take the time for otherwise. So a lot of the physical therapy that you might be doing in the midst of recovering from an injury is only going to make you a stronger, more bulletproof runner coming out of it. So that's a lesson that you can take away in terms of elements to add to your routine to stay healthy as you go. And, you know, there might be other lessons that you learn. You know, one thing for me is that as I dealt with a bunch of injuries in the last 18 months, 
is that I kind of learned to fall in love with the sport in a different way, or again, I guess you could say, in develop a, an appreciation for it in ways that, you know, maybe I hadn't before, because you know, when when you lose something, <laughs> you know, you learn a little bit about what it means to you, and so for me, I was able to develop an appreciation for what this will mean, what running will mean to me for the long term, not just what it means for the next five years, but what I want it to be as a part of my life, you know, as long as I might be doing this. So, so there's lots of lessons to learn. So I encourage anybody that might be injured to dig through their experience and pull out those things that they can take with them. You know, I think your point about stepping away from the community that you're in is, is a good one because sometimes it can be a reminder of what you're not doing and, mm-hmm. and frustrating. Um, I also think, you know, it's good on occasion to, to jump back in and get a little taste of it. You know, I've, I have Tina Bazaka who trains with my group. She, she's been dealing with an 18-month recovery f- now, essentially from, well, I guess about a year now, mm-hmm. recovery from ACL, a freak ACL tear at a trampoline park that also had other kind of related knee issues with it. And she's been coming back from that just now, getting back to the group. She's also tried to come back a few times, so she's kind of been dealing with some starts and stops. But, you know, she'll show up occasionally at our events, our night runs, and drink a beer at the bar and hang out with people. And she's not always around. And I know that mentally she's had her demons to fight, but it's been cool to see her just kind of pop back in, get a little taste of the community, and then pop back out when she needs to. So I think doing that here and there can help you stay sane through the process. You know, Sujata mentions fear as well of fearing this idea that you're not going to be able to get back to where you were or that you may never be healthy again. And I, I understand that fear. It's a real one. The you know thing I think you can look to there is that there's just a lot of people that have come through injury and come out stronger on the other side. And so you've got to recognize that fear, but also realize that it's mostly just not real (laughs) correct and and you just have and that's why it's important to realize that you're not special in that regard it feels so but you feel so special because you think you're the only one who you're special in all the wrong ways right You, (laughs) you you feel like you're the only one who's going through this when many 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 people have gone through the same things and nearly every runner that you know has gone through them and that's another thing chris is if you are in a community of people um reach out to that community and find other folks who have had similar injuries and what their experiences of them are. Um, one of the things you'll find out really quickly is each one of these folk, each one of these injuries has a different, other than stress fractures, so many of them have a, have a different recovery and recuperation time and kind of work that you need to do and how much time you'll sit out and when, when getting back is the right time to come back and getting insight not only from a coach or from a, uh, an advisor that you might have, but also from the people in your community who probably have gone through these similar things, they will almost always really, really encourage you. Um, and let you know, hey, you, then you get real live examples of people that you know who have been through similar things and that can show that there is a light at the end of that tunnel and you will get there. The other thing here is that this can be a time to work on other things in your life. Might be time to read a book, catch up on Game of Thrones, as you said. The other thing I did during my elbow fracture period of recovery is I did a juice cleanse. <laughs> so I was kind of working on some nutrition things that I referenced in our 
chat with on performance nutrition with Megan is that, you know, I needed to do better about particularly getting vegetables in my diet and what that would do for me in terms of managing my hunger. And so I thought, you know what, don't, there's a good way to test this theory. <laughs> so I did a, a five day <laughs> juice cleanse, including, you know, fruit and vegetable juice. It's a, a program that juice land here in town puts out, which I highly recommend. They do a good job of kind of balancing the juices that you get. So you're not just getting all fruit juice. So you're, you're kind of mixing things up. And as somebody who's not super keen on drinking a salad out of a bottle, I feel like it was also pretty, pretty decent tasting <laughs> juices as well. I wasn't tired of it after day one, but anyway, so it was just something you else. You extended me to do. it, didn't you? Didn't well, you go I was a couple extra do, days? I, I was going to do three days, yep. and I felt <laughs> I felt so good. Never hit a wall. I thought, yo, maybe there's a wall coming. I felt like I was going to have to work through something. Such a distance runner and attitude. There's going to yeah, be some like, shit. When, when am I going to go when through the shit? When am I going to feel crappy? <laughs> and it never came. And I just I was worried that it was going to come at some point, and then I would end, <laughs> and then I would end on a bad note. So I wanted to make sure that I got through that. But I just so I just kept going. I went for three days. That was the original plan was to stick with three days, and it was going so well that I added two more days. So I made it five day period. And it was also something for me, not only just to kind of test some nutritional things with me individually, but it's also I talk to athletes occasionally about it, you know, who've been on juice cleanse or want to try a juice cleanse and how that will affect their training and so forth. And so it was also an ability for me to experience something that I could then talk about with athletes if they had those questions. So anyway, so I did that. And it's not something I would ever do in training because I, c- I can't afford to you know, <laughs> be on that kind of restricted diet for you know, through a heavy training period, but it was something I could do when I was waiting for my elbow fracture to heal. So anyway, so find other ways to push yourself, test yourself, try new things, maybe work on nutrition if that's something you need to deal with. So those are some tips there. Obviously, there's no silver bullet, but know that you're going to get through it. Focus on what you can control. Do the work you can do, and you'll be better for it on the other side. The last thing we got to talk about is coming back. You know, when things are better, when your body's healing, when you're worked, when you work through the injury, obviously you want to consult with your medical provider about how and when to come back, when to resume a running routine and your coach, of course, if you have one. But what are your general tips on reentering, Steve, after you've been out for a period of time? This is the hardest part <clears throat> for my athletes to get across. It's hardest information for me to get across to my athletes for them to believe what I'm saying. So many of them will say, let's say that they're a 60-mile-a-week runner, which is a pretty general or average mile-a-week runner for Team Rogue. Um, they will want to be back at 40 miles a week, like, right away. And um, while I will allow an athlete who's taken a two- to three-week break or a month break from training before they came back, when they come back, to, to make a rather relatively high jump back into running when they're injured and coming off of an injury especially a bone stress type injury they're always deeply i they so infrequently ask me for my advice that because they do not they know they do not want to know what i'm going to say which is really really basic and it's number one your doctor is going to tell you exactly what to do in the first few weeks when you get back they are going to have a very clear do not cheat that under any circumstance follow that plan no matter how tough you are no matter how soon the next thing you think you might want to compete in some 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 challenge you want to put out there for yourself refrain from doing that and follow what you've been given by your doctor and or your physical therapist to be sure that you are 
not going to immediately re-injure yourself. Now, this is a crucial thing, Chris. I, I talk about this all the time. So many athletes, when they've had a really traumatic or very difficult injury, they spend a lot of time wondering if they're going to get re- get hurt. I tell this to folks. If your doctor and PT have cleared you for running activity, you are now healthy. End of story. Do not rehash. I think I, I might. this might come back. It's not going to come back unless you do something stupid like ramp your mileage up too much or jump into quality workouts too quickly. You are healthy, but you're, not, you're a shadow of your former self, and you're not going to be able to do the work that you did before. The, so the first thing is follow the plan of, that you have. Number two, the second thing I suggest is run for at least a month, if not six weeks, by yourself. Do not meet with other runners. Do not jump in with other runners unless they're people who are way slower than you doing way less mileage than you normally do. Refrain from running with your normal running groups because they are already lights out, killing it. Many of them are probably right in line to get ready. If at some point they're within six weeks on either end of getting ready for a big race, you will be drug and mercilessly drug along in workouts where you shouldn't be doing things that you shouldn't be doing. And so I highly suggest at that time to absolutely do running by yourself so you can actually move slowly through the process. It also is a great time to do one of the things we've talked about many times, Chris, which is start listening to your body. Listen to the insights that your body's giving you because you're going to feel like you're re-injured and you're going to feel like your knee or your shoulder or your, or your ankle or your, or your planner is still bothering you. It's probably phantom stuff and it's probably not real and you need to be able to work through that in your own, on your own and really listen to those in, that insights that your body's giving you. Yep. Agree with all of that. A couple of rules of thumb that I lay out there for people and obviously there's no way <coughs> to kind of give anyone a set protocol for how to come back because there's so many variables that that depends on what their injury is what they were doing before what type of athlete they have they are their their experience and so forth so there's lots of different ways that you could put together a comeback schedule but i give sort of a general rule of thumb which is first add days (coughs) so first kind of build back days getting back to your normal running days so if you're doing normally five or six days a week Start with two, then go to three, then go to four. But work to add days first, then add distance to those days. Once you get to your normal number of days, then add speed. Mm-hmm. So add days, then add distance, then add speed. It's just like when you're getting ramped up as a runner to go from 30 miles a week to 40 miles or 50 miles a week. The same yep. basic things you suggest. And, and be patient with all of that. It might start with some 20-minute runs a couple of days a week or every other day, but... You've got to be patient, add days, add distance, then add speed, and likely do it slower than you think you might should. And as you said, Steve, listen to your body along the way. The 10% rule goes a long way here, Chris. This is one of those places where I am a big believer in the 10% rule, which just for insights to folks out there that are following a 10% rule, do not do it based on mileage because 10% of 20 miles is two miles and it gets takes forever to get up to where you want to be and so your mind gets really messed up by that go to minutes so if if you were going to do a if if you were you just do it in 30 minutes because then you get to add three more minutes to what you're doing And, and the minutes makes a big big difference in terms of being able to return and come back and it and it really helps you feel like you're accomplishing something and moving forward rather than when you look at the mileage the mileage can be really problematic so even if you are a mileage person who follows your weekly mileage might be a great time to switch over to minutes for a little while until you're ready to get back to your normal volume and you're ready to get going into getting into speed 
the other thing I recommend here, no matter when you're coming back or how, is don't pick a race <laughs> until you are back to your normal training loads. Do not say, well, there's this marathon in six months, nine months, or whatever. Do you think I can be ready for that? Do not do it because it's going to cause you to rush back sooner than you should. It happened to me last fall when I was gearing up after my heel stress fracture too quickly for the fall races here in Austin that I probably shouldn't have been doing and then ultimately caused this cycle of injury. And it wasn't the same injury, by the way. It was different injuries because <coughs> what you have to remember is not only are you detrained in the area of your injury, you're also detrained from a neuromuscular standpoint your entire body. So everything has to get used to those training loads again, not just the injured part. So I highly recommend going back into a base building period and don't think about choosing a race until you're back to normal training loads. And then you can start to think about when's my race? How do I periodize to that race? Super important. Otherwise, you're going to rush back too soon. By the way, there's nothing wrong with resetting your base because it, ne- it always uh, pays not you Not only would it help you stay injury-free uh, coming back, but it'll also mean that you'll get to a better fitness place if you take the time to, to reset the base, reset that aerobic fitness. You know, Chris, one thing that's also a big, a big misconception um, is that people, when they get hurt or have these injuries, when they, or even when they're just taking a break after they've gotten done with a command performance, so often they'll say, I've, I've gone back to zero. I can tell you, if you're a runner who runs consistently year in, year out, you are getting fitter every single year, no matter what. And you never go back to square one. You never go back to zero. You're always, if, if fitness that you accumulated five years ago is still benefiting you today. Now, you will detrain. And detraining happens to a percentage of about, you know, 25 to 30% of what you're capable of and then quickly ramps back up to about within about 10 to 15 to 20% of what you're capable of. And so most athletes are running all the time either, you know, 20 to 20% to 0% off of what they're capable of running. And so when you drop off, you'll be able to get back at it really quickly and you still are fit from that three months before that or six months before that or a year before that. That's all playing out and still benefit to you. So keep that in mind too, that you are not going back to zero. You're never going to go back to zero again. You're at somewhere further along than you know. And the rush to get back, if the, that view of thinking you're at zero is very, very, is a real problem for coaches because we are always trying to counsel that, no, you'll get there and it'll happen pretty quickly, but you have to give it time. And I usually tell folks, you know, four weeks is not enough time to feel like you're getting back in the saddle. And six weeks is about the time you should start feeling like you're feeling normal. And eight weeks is about the time where you start saying to me, all right, now I'm thinking about a goal. And I'd be like, okay, eight weeks along the line, I'm willing to think about that then. But if somebody who tells me eight days after they've come back from an injury that they want to get X done, I laugh at them. (laughs) <laughs> and I just say, no, you're, 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 you're crazy. Or if th- I have repeat offenders here, Chris, I have people who just do this over and over and over again. And I don't say anything to them because it's literally like, like talking to a, like a rock. It will not speak. It, it just, it, there's no insight that you can possibly give it. The only thing I could possibly do is fire them. And I don't really want to do that because I like these people. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yes, good point as, as a related point, it's also important to remember this is a long-term game. If you're doing this, and you're committed to it, 
it's a well. Let's use you for an example. You've yeah. gone through this injury process where you spent eighteen months, really, yep. since Boston last year, but Boston two years ago, where you've been sort of in some process of being where you're at. How far away now do you think you are from the best fitness you've ever had? How far away do you really being honest about it? Where do yep. you think? How far off do you think you are from it? So the best best shape I was ever in was before Boston. Mm-hmm. in 2016 right which would have been just over 18 months ago and you know now as we've chronicled I've been coming back after my series of injuries and then an elbow fracture in March to try to break 60 which we know if you've listened to the last episode recap I didn't do how far off am I from that point in Boston I'm probably 10 percent away so, um, so my point, but I, but I know it's there, you yeah, know, so it's like there was certainly times in the injury cycle, especially after I, you know, I had the elbow fracture, even though that was completely unrelated to running other than the fact that I fell running. I had times where I doubted whether I could ever get back to that old Chris before Boston in 2016, mm-hmm. but I've already seen flashes of it and we haven't even done anything too crazy yep. in this cycle leading up to the run for the water. So it's there. Yeah, and that, I think that that I wanted to give somebody some f- some of our listeners just proof there that even you who've come off of this and had many ups and downs more than most people have to deal with you you especially because you had that freak accident that that happened it sort of extended things much further than it would have been otherwise so I just think it's important you've got a real we've got real time experience of someone who has gone through a lot of challenges who says I'm only about 10% away from where I need to be and that certainly you're at, you're at the highest volume you this cycle you ran at nearly the highest volume you've ever run at in your entire life and you know you're going to get those benefits down the road from that and so you and you have gotten real you are a different runner now than you were before Boston while you were a fitter in Boston 2016 you are going to be a much better runner because of the lessons that you learned from that those in those 18 months. And so these things that we're telling you, we're not just blowing smoke up your butt. This is real stuff that Chris has actually experienced. And me as his coach has watched and seen happen. So it is. And when you see Chris's results, you know, six months from now, nine months from now, a year from now, as you track those results, you're going to see him continuously improving because he did the things he needed to do and, and, and follow the suggestions that we're giving you here in this podcast. Yep, there's encouragement for you all. It does get better. You there's get one thing on I want to talk about, Chris, about this whole injury thing, and it's a little bit, it's a little bit controversial. So, um, I might get some people who yell at me <laughs> and holler at me and say that I'm terrible, but it's crucial in my opinion, and this is from my experience of having now, you know, 20 plus years of coaching experience of of adult athletes. Is the one thing I, the biggest suggestion I can make beyond what we've already talked about is if you get hurt for a window of time between six weeks to eight weeks long or, or anything beyond that point, you need to check your diet. You need to check how you eat and what you eat because the biggest cycle of challenge that an athlete will have is they continue to consume the caloric input that they did when they were running 50 miles a week or 60 miles a week and they don't adjust the kinds of foods that they eat. And your body has this weird way of continuing to store and store and store and to tell you that you need caloric input. And I'm not a nutritionist, but I'm sure nutritionists, I've had enough experience with this personally and with my athletes that I know this is true. As soon as you get hurt and you have to restrict your amount of activity that you're doing, you need to also look at what you're doing from a dietary standpoint. 
because the 10 pounds or 15 pounds that you gain in that window of injury could be the difference maker on you getting back to fitness in the time frame that you want. And more often than not, the extent re-injury re happens for many athletes that I've worked with because they were not accustomed to that little small difference in weight. And you know, any, almost any human being who is a distance runner and been consistent with their running can, care, can cover up 10 to 15 pounds pretty easily. You, you don't really see it that much. You, and, and, if you have, and, it, and as you gain it slowly but surely, you don't really recognize it. And then when you come back to running, you don't really know it's there. It's a, and I'm not telling people to, 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 to not eat and to do anything else. This is why I said it's a little bit controversial. But one of the most important things that you can do to, re, to get yourself back to where you need to be is to come back at the weight or relatively close to the weight that you want to be at. It will make this process so much easier. Great points. I mean, it's something I struggled with through my cycle of injuries. You know, one thing I found is that for me, when I'm in heavy training, my metabolism gets to a certain point the sort of like the engine's hot <laughs> you yep. know it'll it's process so anything quickly yep and that tends to last for f four to six weeks post stopping sometimes activity. it even revs in a weird way i think it's yeah. evolutionary so, but yeah. so you know so we're all kind of notice that things are stable for that period of time but beyond that things come to a grinding halt and then the, the pounds start to pack on the things I learned, one is that, look, you're not going to be the same weight you are as if you're in heavy training. So a little bit of weight gain, you've got to give yourself some slack on that. And it's just going to be there. You know, second, obviously, you're going to have that a little bit extra weight coming back. So that's uh, another reason why it's so important to build back slowly because you're carrying a little bit more than you did when you're in full training. And then the third thing is, you know, as I talked about with the juice cleanse, this is a time to play with your diet and not do anything super crazy, but just be smart and refine and learn how to eat better. And that's something that I focused on when I was managing this, um, you know, series of injuries was I just used it as an opportunity to put energy into that part of my life and didn't do anything super crazy get super restrictive but was just better about choosing healthy options and cutting out unhealthy ones you yeah, know, i was worried about your return here I, I didn't get my normal chubby chris <laughs> i was like what, See, what I, did, I, I, I did it pretty i know well. you did it very well in fact to the point that usually i get <laughs> you slow down so much at the very beginning that by the time that weight comes off you like get this supercharge that has happened over the years of me working with you and this year i remember saying it to you and in front of a couple of other people i was like hmm, i don't know what we're going to do about this, this is the first time i haven't had chubby chris come the comeback trail <laughs> yes yes but but i get it it's hard um but just make sure that you're making smart decisions don't do anything and those crazy. numbers i gave people 10 percent 10 yeah. pounds 15 pounds 20 pounds there that's idiosync that's that's each individual person you know where you're at i'm just saying be cognizant of that and be paying attention to that fact because it can make your return a much more challenging one um if you're not going to take the time that's necessary to slowly but surely develop the strength necessary to carry that yep. extra so yeah be smart. <coughs> know that that's there, but cut yourself some slack too, and then try to work on making good, healthy choices while you're injured. So, with that, Steve, and the train going off, I think that's our signal. Sounds that good. It's time to wrap this one. Hopefully, we gave you some helpful nuggets to come to overcome an injury that might be coming your way. More hopefully, you won't get injured and you'll all be healthy and happy runners always. But we know that that's probably unrealistic. So, you're going to need some of these tips at some point. 
And uh, anyway, there we go. That's episode 49. Chris, 50 next time. We've got 50 coming. If you're still listening to us, we'll tease it a little bit. We're going to do kind of a best of episode for episode 50 coming up. So we're going to be pulling some past clips from old episodes and chatting about that, having a little bit of fun with the next one. So stay tuned for that on the next one. Until then, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Rogue Running. We'll talk to you then.